Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of A Solace in the City. Today I'm so excited because I am with Dr. Jennifer Blaze, who's going to talk about some sciencey stuff and the reasons why everyone is sad and depressed and talking my podcast. Hi. <laughs> yes, that's very true. Um, well, thanks so much for being here. And why don't you start by introducing yourself? Like, where are you from? Where did you go to school? What you study? Okay, so I am Jennifer Blaze, as you said. I am originally from New Jersey. I went to Rutgers for my undergraduate degree, and I was actually a psychology major because I had a huge fear of needles and blood and everything, so I figured I, of course, can't be a doctor. <laughs> and then I started working in a lab that did autism models with um, environmental toxicant exposure. So we basically injected mice with a drug that kind of mimics the effects of autism and I got really into the neuroscience side of psychology so I worked there I did an undergraduate thesis and then I decided I wanted to do my PhD in neuroscience as well so I went to University of Delaware where I got my PhD in behavioral neuroscience so it's basically the the biological side of psychology so how the brain and behavior kind of intermingle and how that dictates what we do and um, I spent five years there and then I started my postdoctoral fellowship at Mount Sinai and I've been there for about four years um, working in two different labs and I also am an adjunct professor at Yeshiva University and at Columbia teaching seminars in epigenetics and some intro to neuroscience courses. Wow that's a lot of it. Worst <laughs> that I have. And that's my life story. <laughs> Where in New Jersey are you from? I'm from Hunterdon County, so it's like central west. Is that it's near, kind of like farmland. Is that near uh, Monmouth County at all? That's where I live. Kind right. of directly west of Monmouth County, okay, I think. Cool. Mm -hmm. So and it's like the middle of nowhere. Oh, well, yeah, that's <laughs> what people would say about Brompton as well. Um, so why did you did you when you were in were you more interested in like science and biology or specifically psychology at all like did you have any connection to mental health or you just thought I don't like needles uh, well I actually I was I was into psychology like in high school when I took psychology and then when I was in high school I actually had um, a grand mal seizure like totally randomly when I was 16 in Aruba which was very strange so then I was like really interested in the brain just because of that and of course when you take psychology courses, there's always like a very little bit where they start talking about neurons and the brain and how it works. So I was always kind of trying to connect that to having a seizure. And so that kind of got me in the biology side of psychology. And I so, see. yeah. So, I mean, I think I was very into biology, but I also fainted when they showed us the pig we were supposed to dissect in biology class. So I kind of had like limited options when it came to a career in like a science related field or medicine versus something psychology based. And I kind of found like a happy medium. Got it. And so you, sorry, I'm just thinking that now, even though you were a psychology major, you were more focused on the neurology aspects. Yeah. So neuroscience. So neurology usually focuses more on like human brain and medicine. So like epilepsy and actual like medical disorders um, and so, but my focus is like neuroscience. So basically like the cellular basis of the brain and the more okay. like 
basic science part of like animal models and imaging and things like that. Got it. Okay. That's really cool. So you mentioned that you teach a seminar in epigenetics and I only know what that is because you explained it to me over the phone. So in your words, can you tell my listeners what epigenetics is? I don't even know if I said it right. Epigenetics. You did. Epigenetics. Yes. So epigenetics is basically broadly, it can be thought of kind of the way experience impacts our genes and a little more biology focused. It's basically how um, your, your gene structure can be changed without actually changing the sequence of bases in your DNA. So, I, I mean, most people know how in every cell in your body you have DNA and that's unique to you and it's the same DNA in every single cell in your body. But epigenetics is basically how your genes are structured in a certain way in all of your cells. So your DNA is wrapped around these proteins called histones and it's kind of formulated in your cells in a certain way. So depending on how that structure of the DNA wrapped around that protein changes, your genes can be expressed more or less. And that can make proteins then be expressed more or less. And that's what makes everything in your cells and your body and brain function. Got it. And what initially attracted you to that field because it's very specific I know I kind of happened upon it because I started at University of Delaware um, and I was being recruited by um, a very excellent mentor who has a lab on focused on early life stress and epigenetics so I actually didn't even know what epigenetics was before I started there so she kind of reached out to me when I applied to Delaware and said I have an opening in my lab would you be interested and that's when I read up on it and I was like, wow, this is really cool and really amazing. And that's kind of how I started. Got it. And so I could be wrong. So correct me if I'm wrong, but is epigenetics kind of like, whereas you have CTE, which is like what physical damage does to your brain. It's more like emotional damage in a way. No, epigenetics is very physical. Oh, it is. So it's actually like there are actual chemical modifications like the most common one that people hear about is DNA methylation. So it's an actual methyl group that gets added to your DNA. And that changes the way it usually silences your gene. So basically, like, going through a stressful experience can add methyl groups to your DNA and turn your genes off. And that's what can kind of predispose people to then have, like, different mental illnesses and things like that. I see. Okay, so I know that you have a certain study with rats for your PhD. Can you explain like what that is and what you're trying to figure out with that? Yeah, so for my PhD, I started working in the lab I just mentioned. Basically, she developed this really great way to model um, childhood adversity. So it's really well known um, in the clinical literature that basically children who are abused early in life or children that experience deprivation early in life, like they're in orphanages and institutionalized, or if they are in very impoverished environments, um, they have basically a higher chance of getting depressive and anxiety-like disorders. So basically it's really important to have animal models to then model early life trauma as it would be in humans so that we can 
find the underlying causes of like what's making people more predisposed to early life stress induced depression or anxiety. So um, what we have there is basically she developed this model where um, you're able to have a litter of rat babies basically that you can separate and expose them to rat moms that have different levels of maternal care. So rats when they're born are very, very dependent on their, um, on the maternal care. So they're tiny and they basically need the mom for warmth. They need to nurse. They need to be licked and groomed a certain amount to develop, you know, like properly. So, um, when you give them to a mom who's super stressed because you take away her nesting material. So it kind of mimics if you would have a stressed out mom living in an impoverished area who doesn't have resources is maybe, you know, like living in poverty. You basically have a rat that doesn't have stuff to build a nest. And so they get very stressed and they start to kind of um, maltreat their offspring and when the offspring grow up, they actually show very similar behavioral characteristics to people that experience stress early in life, like depression or anxiety, like phenotypes in rats. And so what I did there is um, I basically looked at a certain part of the rat's brain that's really important in emotion and cognition and things like that called the prefrontal cortex. And I'm sure many people have heard of that yeah. It's, yeah. I was like, oh. it's you know it's one of the longest developing brain regions it's developing up until you're you know in your late teens early 20s and so in these rats that were maltreated if you take their prefrontal cortex and look at the dna there's actually increased methylation so there's more methyl groups binding to the dna at a gene called brain derived neurotrophic factor so it's bdnf for short and that is a gene very important in neural functioning and neural development and learning and memory. And it's something that is kind of biomarker-like when it comes to depression and anxiety. So in lots of humans, um, human studies of blood or saliva, there's changes in BDNF expression um, if they have depression or anxiety. So um, basically these rats have this BDNF gene turned down a little bit after they were maltreated early in life. And how do they act? Can you, are there any relations to how the rats like act in a group where compared to humans who are depressed? I mean, the way, I mean, obviously the way you model depression, anxiety in rats and mice is very, it's a stretch yeah. from humans, obviously. And nothing is directly relatable, but um, there are ways that we can measure it. So, for example, there's um, if you put a rat in basically a beaker of water, um, its normal reaction is going to be kind of to swim and keep itself afloat. Rats are really good swimmers. Um, and then they're, if they basically go immobile, so they kind of just freeze in the water, that's a sign that they are showing more depressive like behavior because if you give them antidepressants like human antidepressants like SSRIs or tricyclic antidepressants like amipramine, um, they stop going immobile and they struggle more. So that's oh, like wow. one way that we measure depression in rodents. But I mean, we call it depressive like behavior yeah. because obviously it would be very 
anthropomorphic to call <laughs> a rodent depressed, but yeah. Wait, so you actually give them like Zoloft? I mean, I personally have yeah. not, but that's kind of how they validate tests of depression that's in mice so and crazy. rats. Yeah. And I mean, the same thing for anxiety. So if you basically put a rat or a mouse in like a big open square or circle chamber, um, their normal activity is called thigmotaxis. So that basically means they normally kind of run around the perimeter because mice like dark you know places they don't like to be out in the open and I mean that's kind of like humans if you're at a party normally you're probably going to stay around the perimeter until you get more comfortable and then you go kind of out into the middle area so um, anxious mice and rats will stay around the outside Um, less anxious mice and rats will spend more time in the center so that test is called the open field test and we use that to detect anxiety and then if you give them um, you know, alprazolam or lorazepam, which are like Xanax and um, Ativan. I think those are the two trade names. Basically, they'll spend more time in the center of the open field. That's so crazy. And I thought what was cool, um, which you said over the phone, was that in a way what you were doing or what you were doing to them was very similar to what the doctor in Three Identical Strangers was doing but with humans and very illegal yes yeah so when I wild yeah when I saw that movie I was like this is exactly like separating a litter of rats into different groups to receive different levels of maternal care but in humans and then you know I don't want to spoil the ending of that movie for your listeners but yeah for anyone listening (laughs) first of all watch the movie but the trailer is really misleading because it looks like a comedy and then you're watching it and it's just a really, so really sad. sad. Yeah. Really interesting documentary, but it's really sad. But basically there are three triplets who are all, um, they're all from different areas and they don't know that they're related and they end up going to the same college and then one brother and then the other brother like meets up with them later or something like that. But, What's crazy about it is at first they all seem very similar, but one brother is from a really nice, wealthy household. The second is from like a middle class household. Third is from like a really rough area. And you just kind of see the gen- like the degeneration of the different brothers. And um, it turns out that the reason that they were separated to begin with was because the it was an experiment run by... Some, some German really, doctor or right. something. And I, but I think he was at Yale. Yeah. And like it, they hit it. It's yeah. crazy. So everyone go see it. it. But that's essentially what you're studying with these rats. Right. Because I think by the end they found it was the one that had like the worst level of maternal care. Not maternal. I think it was the dad. But less, you know, enrichment early in life was the one that had the worst mental health outcome. Mm-hmm. So that's really interesting. And especially because... They're identical twins, so they have identical twins, obviously have, you know, almost 100% identical DNA in sequence. So it's really, so really what you do is a question of like nature and nurture. Exactly. That's epigenetics is the perfect example of how nature and nurture interact. That's so interesting. Yeah. So I know that you have another seminar on, um, or your new seminar do you mind yes. discussing what you talk about there? Yeah. So m- the first seminar you mentioned, what I taught behavioral epigenetics, which is basically all the things that I just mentioned, but 
you know, elongated over an entire course. Um, and this semester I'm actually starting a new seminar called Stress and the Brain. And so basically it's very similar to the other one, except it's more focused on not just epigenetics, but how stress affects the brain when it comes to hormonal systems, the immune system, and all of these different systems throughout your body that interact with the brain to make you have basically the same kind of, you know, predisposition to mental health disorders or something after stressful experiences, both early in life and later in life. So what's something like on the syllabus? Like what are you studying that's different than the epigenetics? Part? Um, I mean, for example, we're talking about um, the differences between chronic and acute stress. So acute stress being if you um, put a rat or a mouse in a little tube so they can't move, it's very stressful for them. If you do that like one time, maybe for a few hours, it's obviously very stressful. It's like one person going through you know, one very traumatic experience that would be like an acute stressor. And then a chronic stressor would obviously be something that is repetitive and happens multiple times. That could be like someone living in, you know, in poverty. That's obviously a chronic stressor because every day you're having um, some kind of stressful experience. Or in rats, you can do the same kind of stress, but repeat it every day for a few weeks. And basically there are different effects of that kind of stress on the brain. So, I mean, for example, in the brain, the way your neurons fire changes depending on if you are exposed to something chronically or acutely or um, the structure of your neurons. So normally neurons, they have all of these branches coming out called dendrites, and that's kind of the way they pick up um, neurotransmitter and pick up signals from other neurons. And they have a certain level of complexity. And basically, if you experience stress for a certain amount of time, um, the complexity of these neurons decreases. So they have less of these branches. And that kind of leads to decreases in cognitive abilities. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. That's really cool. So in terms of what you're learning from these, like, what do you think is what do you think is one of the most interesting things you've learned from either, you know, your um, PhD study on epigenetics or what you're teaching? I think the most interesting thing and things that people should know when they think about epigenetics would be, I think people get really stuck on the fact that epigenetics will make something biologically embedded in you after you have some kind of bad experience and then kind of like all hope is lost. Mm -hmm. But um, there are actually really interesting studies coming out that beneficial experiences can kind of reverse the negative effects of epigenetics. Oh, wow. That's yeah. So, cool. so, I mean, I just recently read one um, and they, they basically, this was a human study, so they took I think it was blood or saliva from veterans that had PTSD and um, they found this specific epigenetic signature. So a different kind of chemical modification to the gene um, that basically signified like, you know, separated the people with PTSD from the people without. And then when these subjects went through psychotherapy for many weeks, it actually reversed the epigenetic mark and they obviously, and they had beneficial effects of psychotherapy. Wow. So it's like a legitimate proof, like scientific proof that therapy is good. Right. 
and there's similar so there, cool. yeah and there's similar effects of for example treatment with antidepressants can kind of reverse the epigenetic changes seen with that brain-derived neurotrophic factor gene that I told you about that's altered in depression so when you have long-term exposure to antidepressants if the symptoms are alleviated sometimes there are studies where they show that actually the changes can be reversed and similar things with even with like exercise or lots of studies in mice and rats have environmental enrichment all of these kind of beneficial things can reverse the effects the deleterious effects of stress or something that's so funny I mean not funny but I was literally about to ask like what was your unbiased advice for those who have been through these traumatic experiences but you have actual data right and it's I mean if anyone is interested in seeing data if you just search on Google Scholar or PubMed which is available to everyone you know effects of stress on the brain and then you add in exercise or nutrition or psychotherapy or antidepressant you'll see all this evidence for how those things that we know are proven to you know benefit people and not cure depression obviously because there's no cure but these are definitely things that have been proven to lessen the symptoms of depression and anxiety you know in some of them in a more natural way. And we see that those actually change things in the brain. That's so cool. So is there anything being done with this research in terms of, you know, either better at being like giving it to a, um, like a mental health organization like the AFSP or um, uh, NAMI to use so that they can better educate people and like why they should see therapy and, Um, you know, I'm not sure. I know, I know a lot of research like ASFP or AF, yeah, AFSP funds research, you know, like I'm probably applying for a grant from them like at the end of the year. Um, and I don't know about how they go about educating people on this, but I think, I mean, if people listen to your podcast, I think that's a good (laughs) plug. This is a plug. Um, but yeah, I think for the most part, the public, um, should be more educated on these kind of things so that they know that they do have, you know, a control over their destiny that actually like can be turned into something biological and not just, you know, a lot of people, as I said, assume, you know, Oh, this like horrible thing happened. They hear something about epigenetics or nature nurture and they're like, Oh, well, I guess it's a lost cause, but there are things, you know, you can do not to say it doesn't always work obviously. And, there are in, like instances where, you know, under like severe stressors, you know, people, you know, there may not be as good of a response to those kind of things, but um, it's definitely an, an option. And I, I recommend people to like read about it and to think about things they hear in the media. Cause I know, I know there's epigenetics is something that's kind of coming out in the media more and more and being written about in like op-ed columns and things. And I've read things that people tend to kind of overstate the facts sometimes, like not look at the actual study that's being done and how it was done and be critical of the findings and, you know, read what the actual scientists want them to get from it. So I think that's really important for the public to do as well. Yeah, definitely. I think what's... what's so cool about it too is that 
I mean, you know, there's people who dismiss, people dismiss like antidepressants because they're like, oh, I don't want to take a medication. I don't want something messing with my brain. But, and then they'll dismiss therapy because, oh, like what is talking to someone going to do? But this is proof that it does do something. Yes. Oh, that's so great. Yes, there's definitely proof. And I mean, you know, as I said, like, you know, it probably does not happen for everyone, but there is biological proof that these things work. Oh, that's so cool. And now we're seeing like more and more is coming out about exactly how they work and like what cells they're changing and what DNA molecule they're methylating. And it's amazing how people have done this and especially through different like animal models of depression and stuff that we're seeing this is it's really amazing like how far it's come in the past like 10 years maybe I mean like before before like 2000 the early 2000s epigenetics was like not even on the radar of psychiatry and neuroscience it was just something that was in cancer research so this is like a relatively new field and that's why I think it's becoming so big so fast yeah I love how I mean this is a side note but I just love how mental health I mean it's almost like a hot topic now in Mm -hmm. terms of mental health startups and you know online therapy and things like that it's just growing and growing there's actually becoming an industry for it and it's just so cool to see yeah it's nice and people are I think are more open about it mm-hmm. and it's more normal to talk about it as you yeah are. exactly so, I'm trying to yeah make the little pitch of my podcast but I usually end by asking five questions and these may seem really like unrelated oh, <laughs> okay. because they're you know, they usually follow after I talk about someone talking about their personal life as opposed to what they've learned. So. Okay. But I'm curious to hear your responses, okay. nevertheless. Okay, first question is, what's one thing in your life that's happened to you that's made you a stronger person today? Uh, <laughs> um, so I have also, I've had my bouts of dealing with mental health issue, issues as well. And I think a lot of people... Um, this I don't know who if anyone if your listeners if anyone is in academia or in research and science it's a very stressful career path as most are but um it's interesting because you know we're researching these things and then you know in a very stressful career obviously we know stress predisposes people to mental illness so you know, it's very common in academia for depression and anxiety to be like pretty rampant. And, um, and I feel like it's almost less talked about because we're supposed to be the experts on it. Yeah. And, um, I, like I have had my experiences with it and it's very interesting to experience it firsthand and know the exact kind of, you know, physiological things going on in your brain and why things are happening um Wait, that's so interesting oh but so crazy. I know it's but like, then you know and experience things that you've seen modeled in animals um so so I think that was something that's happened to me in the past few years that really made me grow especially as like a scientist because it makes me want to more understand like what's happening molecularly that's so crazy is it like inception kind of thing kind of it's interesting because you'd think like rationally if you know what's going on it would make it you know not as bad but it doesn't if anything it's, you're just yeah. like more stressed it's about more it. frustrating because it's like i know this is happening so why do i feel like this so yeah not to go like completely left but 
I remember wasn't isn't wasn't there some really famous scientist from like Princeton or something who was studying depression and then ended up taking his own life? I feel like Maybe. I read about this really really recently. I'm pretty sure. I'll need to find the article. Yeah, I'm curious. Send it to me. I'm not yeah. sure if I... You just made me think of that. But yeah, there there was some... I'm going to like get all of his facts wrong. But he was studying depression and anxiety and like yeah. definitely mental health focus. And then I, seemingly ironically took his life. But it would then they sh- talked about just the stresses of academia. And yes. I mean, well, I'm curious. Send that yeah, to me. Yeah, <laughs> I'll definitely. I'll put it in the yeah. comments because it was really sad but really interesting. Second question. Okay. Do you believe everything happens for a reason? You're a very rational person. <laughs> <laughs> People are like, yes. Um, I do. Mm, eh, I, don't, I, I waver on that. I mean, I, I think sometimes, but then I think there's – I find it hard to rationalize the really bad things that happen in the world. Yeah. And, you know, people You're like what, is you know, having terminal, and- terminal illnesses or, you know, losing loved ones or like I. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know about that question. Yeah. Tough When's your birthday? One. January 6th. So you have Capricorn? Yes. Cool. I'm, I'm trying like, try to get into astrology. Your- I'm a Virgo. OK. But I'm a Capricorn moon. So I don't know what that means, but. <laughs> If a crystal ball could tell you anything about yourself, your life, your future, or anything else, what would you most want to know? Oh, how specific is this crystal ball? It could be anything. <laughs> oh, this is these are some <laughs> intense questions. Um, I hmm. You can find the cure to cancer. (laughs) I mean, no, I mean, if, if I could ask a crystal ball something, I mean, I'd probably, oh gosh, I don't know. What's yours? Have you answered these? I don't know. Um, In every episode? (laughs) Nope. Nope. (laughs) I, I honestly don't know. I don't know if I'd want to know anything. I think that might, I'm like a very anxious person in general. So I think knowing something that I can, that I'm going to anticipate would make me yeah, even exactly. more anxious. And then you're like, right. Trying to do everything. Like, to if get I'm like there when or... am I going to f- meet the person that I'm going to marry? Like, yeah, I'd love to know that. Yeah. But then around but, like that age, you're like, oh my God. I know. Then I'm day? like, oh, time's ticking. Yeah. It must be this person I'm meeting at Starbucks today. Exactly. And what do you love most about yourself? Um... What do I love most about myself? I think I'm very determined and um, and I really am persistent and I like that. And I think it's helped me kind of get to where I am um, professionally at least and stick to things that I maybe thought were difficult in life. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great quality. You said you, you like that, but you love it. <laughs> <laughs> and the final question, um, because it's the name of my podcast, is how do you find solace in the city? How do I find solace? I find solace in being with my best friends, probably, who 
since I went to Rutgers, luckily everyone migrates directly to the city. So every week or two, I get together with my two best friends and it doesn't matter like what we're doing. I just feel like I'm me and I'm, you know, home. I love that. Yeah. Thank you so much for educating me. I'm so You're welcome. I'm so glad that you invited me and that hopefully our listeners like it. Yeah, definitely. How can my listeners like either like support your studies or the studies of Mount Sinai or wherever you're teaching and like you're what you're doing just anything they can do um no I mean my PSA would be just to you know read up about epigenetics and stuff but read scientific literature which may be difficult but try not to read things that are you know kind of um glamorizing the science and try and just think critically about it and you know so that we don't have kind of like false science being spread mm-hmm. um and that's kind of the best way that they can help amazing well thank you so much thank you so much zoe <laughs> and for all my listeners i haven't done this yet but please subscribe and rate and review because i would love more than 11 reviews on on itunes 11 is great like it's very great but please 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 review (laughs) review us review all right bye guys bye